I invite you to follow along prayerfully as I uh, read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. And would you stand, please, those of you who are able to do so. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. The hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Anybody here this morning need a miracle? Anybody here this morning need God to break into your ordinary flat life with something from beyond? Anybody here this morning hungry for God to do something out of the ordinary? Somebody said that the problem with our world is that we live horizontally while the gospel is perpendicular and wants to break in on us. We live very pedestrian, flat lives while God, the vertical one, wants to break in and do something brand new something different in our lives. And I think that was summed up uh, wonderfully by the poet W.H. Auden, who in one of his poems said, Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. We need a miracle to live, to to survive, to thrive. We're all hungry for the miraculous. What amazes me about this passage of Scripture is the disciples were asking questions on the horizontal plane. Uh, Jesus, it's evening and these people are hungry. You need to send them away so they can go eat. And Jesus replies with the vertical, with the possibility of the miracle from beyond. He says, you give them something to eat and then bring those loaves and fish to me and we'll do something about it, making space for God. I don't know about you, but one of the big problems in my life is that I sort of plod along living in what is while Jesus Christ is always calling me to live in what could be. And like the disciples, we all just sort of plod along in what is, as if that's all that's possible, not making space for Jesus who calls us to what could be. Miracles happen every day, all around us, in front of us. Uh, 
I like C.S. Lewis's approach to miracles. He actually has a book entitled Miracles. It's not very big. You should read it sometime. And he tapped into what other theologians and scholars had said. And, and it's the idea that miracles are simply God's providential care compressed and concentrated into a shorter period of time. And we would say in the 20th century, or 21st century, that miracles are God's providential care on fast forward. That God is doing the same miraculous work in a miracle, but he's just doing it shorter, faster, more compact. For example, feeding of 5,000. Millions of people are fed every day through the miracle of plants that grow. But instead a combine is used to harvest and a truck is used to take it to the rail stations and the trains take it to a factory and uh, the bakery uh, wraps it up and brings it to the stores and it's brought to our table and it's a miracle of feeding. It just happens in slow motion. The miracle of Divine healing is, is God compressing into a short period of time uh, the miracle of healing. But, you know, sometimes God uses drugs and surgery and the wisdom of the medical profession. But miracles happen all around us. Being a farm boy, one of my favorite descriptions of miracle uh, is the, uh, the preacher who said one day, only God could use a black cow eating green grass to produce white milk. Think about it. Think about it. Every day we sit down to food, it's a miracle. The Jews in their tradition actually believe that every meal is a sacred meal because it's a sign of God miraculously providing. And how differently in this fast food kind of world would we be if every time we sat down to our table... We paused and thought about the miracles, photosynthesis, and development of, 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 of plants that grow. If we thought about the miracle of God's provision for us. Miracles are all around us. They're everywhere. Now, what's also fascinating about this miracle is that the miracle of the feeding of the thousands happened in an unlikely place. It was a deserted place. No restaurants around. No extra food. No extra uh, provisions around. But see, that's God's favorite condition for a miracle when it's most unlikely. God's favorite place to work in our lives is the place where we least expect it and where we could least believe logically it could happen because that way God gets the glory. We don't say, well, I figured that out on my own. And then in verse 20, they all ate, Scripture says, and were filled. They were filled. That is the same Greek New Testament word that is used in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, when Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. So it's very clear. Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus satisfies the deepest hungers of our life. He provides for all of our needs, that he's not a one-dimensional Savior, that he cares about our spiritual needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, 
our social needs, that he's the total Savior. They ate and were filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And every time we share the Lord's Supper, every time we come to the table, pass the plates, take of the bread, take of the cup, we are reliving the sweet, sweet reality that only Jesus can satisfy our deepest needs. We are reliving being forgiven, having our slate wiped clean, nothing of the past held against us. We are reliving at the communion meal what it means to have new birth and fresh energy to make better choices and to do life differently. We are reliving at the communion table what it means that a Savior would die for us and pave the way to an eternal relationship with God to know that that we have hope that there's more to this world than what we can see. What, What a blessing to relive at the communion table the reality that the things of this world cannot satisfy us, but Jesus can meet the deepest hungers of our lives. There's another miracle going on in this story. You have to read closely and think about it. It's the miracle of being included in sharing the miracle. It's the miracle of getting to participate in being a miracle for others. Follow me now. Think about this. If Jesus was awesome and powerful enough to feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish, couldn't Jesus have just fed them without the intermediaries of the disciples helping out? I mean, go figure, right? He could have just, bam, here's the food in your lap. But instead, Scripture is very careful to say that he took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples who in turn gave them to the people. Now, why would he include the disciples? Because he wanted them to get a taste of miracle making, of participating in the the buzz, the thrill, the fun of sharing in God's miracle. Do you suppose the disciples ever looked at a hungry person again in the same way after that day? Don't you suppose their lives were blessed by being involved in that miracle and seeing hungry people eating so well? Don't you suppose that they forever and always looked at spiritually lost people differently after being able to participate in that miracle? You know, God lets us in on miracle making. God lets us participate in sharing with others so that we get the buzz and the blessing. Think of it this way. I doubt that very many of our youth last spring said to themselves, you know, I think I love people in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'd like to go on the youth mission trip. It was really the other way around, wasn't it? They went on the youth mission trip And through the experience of being involved in miracle-making, they grew to love the people of Knoxville. 
And if you've been to Ukraine or Kenya or South Dakota or any mission trip, you didn't love those people you never knew first and then say, I've just got to go. You went on the trip, and in the process of God doing so many things, you grew to love them. God let you in on the miracle making. But the same is true if you've served uh, trays at one of our community meals for homeless and hungry people. The same is true if you've taught a Sunday school class of rowdy children. The same is true if you've participated in serving your enemy, doing something nice to someone who hates you. It's amazing when you step in and let God help you and serve through you in that miracle. It's amazing how God melts your heart and you stop hating and you start loving. God lets us take part in the miracle which transforms us. In mimicking Jesus, doing what Jesus does, our lives are transformed through compassion. In mimicking Him, we start loving like Him. This past summer, uh, Janet and I were on vacation and woke up one Saturday morning in a relatively small city, county seat town, and decided to walk the square, and there happened to be a farmer's market on that beautiful summer morning, and this town square was just packed with tents and booths, and, and uh, it wasn't just a farmer's market, it was a craft show, it was a talent show, it was an everything, and people not only local, but tourists from all around were milling around and having a wonderful time, and you can tell the you could tell the community had put a lot of effort and thought into this, into this uh, town square experience. And there was one booth that was set up that was obviously set up by the local uh, leaders because it said, a message from Chamber of Commerce and Merchants Association. And the message from the Merchants Association and Chamber of Commerce was a message to encourage all of the merchants and farmers to keep making this better and better, and the message simply was, we need your imagination, and we need your commitment. And I thought about that. They said, we need you to think outside the box. We need you to believe this could be bigger and better, and we need you to be committed to that dream. And somehow in the, buried in this text, I hear Jesus saying to us, God needs your imagination. He needs us to believe that life can be different than it's been. He needs us to believe that he's calling us to something more, to something vertical. He needs us to acknowledge that we need miracles in our lives and to be able to see them when they happen. And he needs us to be committed to do what it takes to participate in those miracles. Jesus needs our imagination and he needs our commitment. So I'll repeat the question I began with. Anybody here this morning need a miracle? 